Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. You know, God loves to fight. He does. And he fought the devil one time, lasted about one millisecond. That was a good fight. That's it. Matthew 22, uh, Jesus was dealing with people. A lot of people liked him a lot, uh, a whole lot, because he's changing their lives. Feeding the hungry, raising dead people, putting eyeballs in heads, growing hands out, you know, good stuff. But the religious people didn't like him at all because he's stealing the crowd. And so the Pharisees and Sadducees got together. They're going to try to trip him and hang him out there in public. So they're asking some hard questions. So the Sadducees tried to set him up, and he just embarrassed them in front of everybody. Just shut them out down. They didn't know what to say. And so Pharisees got together and said, man, we can't let that happen to us. We've got to come up with a harder question. We've got to trick him. We've got to trick him. We've got to make him look stupid. And so they asked him, Matthew 22, they said, well, Lord, uh, since you seem to know so much, what is the greatest of all the commandments in the 17 books of the law? Jesus didn't even hesitate. He said, well, that's simple. You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And uh, he said, and by the way, there's another one just as important. You need to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. And, and they couldn't answer him because like, okay. And they didn't know what to say. Because relationships is the most important thing in God's mind. God loves relationships. He set everything up on relationships. Your whole life's about relationships. They're either going really, really good or they're not going good at all. And that's what we have to work on. Now, you get over in the New Testament, Paul in Ephesians, he's talking to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5, and he said, this is, Husbands, husbands, I need you to love your wife like you love yourself. Well, the deal about that is what if you don't love yourself? Your wife's in trouble. Because there's only one source of love in the universe, and that's God. So if you don't know God, you can say, I love you, but you don't have the ability because God is the only source of love anywhere. Now, uh, I got almost all my kids out of college. Got one more to go. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we're going to go eat a cheeseburger on that day. We're going to go eat better. And, uh, but they come feed me stuff all the time. Great kids, all of them born again, spirit-filled. I don't have any perfect kids. They didn't have any perfect parents, but they're real good. So Sarah feeds me stuff. She's my college professor. She's feeding me stuff. She gave me this story to look at one time. Back in the spring, I found it fascinating. It was uh, 1938, uh, Harvard University. They're still a big deal even back then. And uh, they were doing a study, and they noticed something at Harvard. It's the end of the Depression. The Depression's still going on. There's still a couple years left. Man, there's no jobs, no work, not much money. Uh, the country's not doing good at all. But there are some filthy, stinking rich people in the country. There's still a lot of wealth. And those kids go to Harvard because you can't go to Harvard unless you're wealthy. And they noticed that they had kids at Harvard from wealthy families in the greatest school in America that were having some problems. Matter of fact, that year they even had some suicides. Kids at Harvard with no money problems from wealthy families committed suicide. I thought, that, that can't be right. Then in downtown Boston, if you go through Boston, one of the worst slums in America, worse than, you know, New York, Chicago, it was horrible. People living on the street, uh, most kids didn't have dads. I mean, it, it was bad. Some of the professors from Harvard would drive through going home out into the country, and they noticed that some of the kids living in the slums in Boston, when they would drive through, they'd be smiling and laughing. I thought, what do they have to laugh about? And they're living in poverty, got no hope, no future, got no money, no job, no father. What makes them happy? So they begin to talk among themselves. What, what makes people happy? Why are some people happy and healthy and some people aren't? It doesn't seem to have anything to do with where they grew up, 
who their parents were. So they thought, well, we need to do a study. So they decided to do a 10-year study. So they picked 726 men. I don't know why they didn't pick any women. They just didn't. 726 men. Half were sophomores at Harvard, and half were from the slums in Boston. Now, it took a year to screen them out. They had to go visit them and interview them, find out their background. Do you have any parents? Interview the parents. If you're going to school, interview your teachers, your cousins. Find out about you. Then they said, for the next 10 years, every other year, we're going to come see you for a week and ask you questions, see how you're doing, what's going on. We're going to give you full physical, blood samples, urine samples, x-rays. We're going to check you out from A to Z and find out what makes you tick. And so they're going to do that for 10 years. Well, they realized after 10 years that they wasn't enough. But we, we need to extend this. Well, they just completed the 75th year of the study. <laughs> 62 of the original 726 are still alive. They're still doing the study with them. And here's what they found out. One of the questions they asked in the beginning when they started the survey every year, they'd ask the question, what would make you happy? What would make you happy? And the number one answer, about 80%, whether from Harvard or the slums, 80% said this, to be filthy, stinking rich. If I was filthy, stinking rich, I'd be happy. Hmm, fascinating. Second most popular answer between the slums and Harvard was this, I want to be famous. What? I want to be famous. When I walk into a room, I want heads to turn. I want people to know who I am. So they did the same thing, same survey, same test, everything. Somewhere around age 40, the answers began to change. <coughs> By age 50, all answers had changed to one answer. What would make you happy? Is it still being filthy, stinking rich? No, no. I mean, you need money, but it's just not what it's cracked up to be. You still want to be famous? Pfft, no, I don't, that's the last thing I want to be. I tried that. that that's no good. I, I want to walk in a room. Nobody knows me. That'd be good. <laughs> and so that's what, what would make you happy. And here's what, by age 50, all of them gave the same answer. What would make you happy? And they said this, a great relationship. What? A great relationship. Now, most of these aren't Christians. What would make you happy? Having somebody to get up and talk to and visit with or play checkers or dominoes, go sit in the bench in the park or go for a walk. It is a horrible thing to grow by yourself. Loneliness is a bad thing. God said in Genesis, the first book, not good for a man to be alone. Loneliness is a bad thing. That's why here we are tonight in the greatest family in the universe, the body of Christ. Here we are. God has made us one together. Different talents, abilities, gifts, but we're all one. And that's what God's trying to do. So, I thought, you know, that's real good. Now, there was a time, you know, I wanted my kids to be smart. Don't you be smart. Don't you pass algebra and English and diagram a sentence and make first chair flute. And, <laughs> and they did some of that, and I realized, this wasn't that big a deal. So I realized I don't want nice kids, because I want them to be nice. You better be nice. You better not cuss or snort dope or get drunk or fornicate. You better be nice. And I threatened them, man. I did for years. I'm teaching on family parenting. Then I realized I, I, I don't want nice kids because nice people finish last. <laughs> but they just do. That's not a bumper sticker in Texas. That's a truth. Nice people finish last. You know, but, man, but God wants people that, that make the devil break out in a cold sweat when they get up in the morning. So we're going to do, Jesus, well, I'm going to build me a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail, prevail against us. We're, I'm raising up somebody. We're going to go kick some hell in. We're going to look for some hell. We don't, I'm looking for some hell. Where's some hell at? I want to heal some sick, raise some dead, cast out some devils, and I want to win some people to Jesus. I want to kick some hell. Where's some hell at? Well, the problem is because if you don't grow up in church, you're not looking for hell. You're trying to avoid it. I just want to have one normal day. I just want one normal day with no hell. Well, that won't happen because you're on planet Earth, so just suck it up. 
Get your arm out, get your sword out, because we've got to whip something. I used to think CNN was around forever. I thought they'd probably be around Jesus' day. And you imagine CNN interviewing Jesus once he started his ministry. He's like, hey, Lord, what you got planned today? Well, I got a busy day today. First of all, I'm going to go down here and put some eyeballs in a blind man's head. Yep, that's going to be good. Then I'm going down to church. I'm going to grow me a handout, and that's going to get them all been out of shape for some reason. They're going to try to kill me over that one. I'm heading out to the country through Bethany, and on the way out, I'm going to raise a dead kid at a funeral. Then we're going to have 5,000 Happy Meals out there on the hillside. I got myself a real busy day planned out. I'm in a hell-whipping mood. <laughs> Jesus said, the things I do, you'll do also. So I realized I don't want nice kids. I don't want kids that want to wake up and go whip some hell. You go through life one time. Don't go through life thumb-sucking. Life hard. My dad didn't love me. My mama didn't love me. My teacher wouldn't pass me. My coach wouldn't play me. My boss wouldn't raise me. Why? Left my dog beat me. <laughs> God's not looking for that. So, so we began to change how we parented, you know. We really, really did. That didn't happen overnight. We're still working on some of it. But I said, I want you to be aggressive. I want you to go do something, build something, help somebody. So we started radio. I told Pastor we started radio about a year ago. I got a great board, and, and they tell me the truth. That's why they're on my board. And uh, they said, Joe, you can't travel this pace forever. We still do about 80 seminars a year. And, and uh, I said, Joe, you can't do this forever. I said, well, I think I can. No, you can't. We need to start reaching people in a better way. And I said, you've got to get on the radio. I said, I don't want to do any radio. I don't like radio. He said, no, you've got to get on radio. He said, and so I said, Joe, you can either reach millions or you can reach thousands. Now, what do you think you'd like to do? And before I can answer, one of them said this. Now, Joe, when you get to heaven, God's going to meet you at the pearly gate. And he's going to ask you, hey, welcome home. Glad to be here. <laughs> now, explain to him before you come in how come he didn't want to reach millions and just thousands. What, what was the deal on that one? Because you probably won't be eating at the marriage supper. You're going to be eating at a card table with a chicken egg tied around your neck somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Got me. I thought, all right, we're going on radio. So we spent a year visiting the five biggest Christian radio programs in America. We went physically there, talked to them. One of them is really kind of taking us under their wings. How do you do this right? What are the three things I shouldn't do? Three things we should do. How can you be effective reaching people with the gospel? And so we spent a year. We run really good. And so we're getting ready to launch our second year. And uh, one of the cities runs Canton, Ohio, where we're here. And we picked 12 strategic places where we thought they were the most families. And we're trying to, trying to work them. So, once a week we have a live call-in program. Denise and I will sit in the studio in our Tulsa office and people can call in and I got an MC sitting there and we give two minute answers. So they can call in and so this one lady calls Joe, it's so-and-so. And I said, hey, call. I said, hey, Joe, we got all your stuff on family and parenting, all your tapes and books. It's really helped us as parents. We really appreciate that. I'd like to ask you a question, Joe. If you could go back, you and Denise, and do it all over again, all the hundreds of things you taught on family and parenting, if you could go back and just do three things, what are three things you would do? I thought, well, that's just a sappy woman question. <laughs> I thought it. I did. I'm not lying. I'm not, God knows what I thought. So I looked at Denise and said, honey, would you like to answer that? And she said, no, Joe, you need to answer that. <laughs> Praise God. I think I'll answer that. And so here's what I said right out of my back pocket. I thought, I got two minutes, and it's already a minute. It's about gone. I said, well, three things that we did, I think they're real critical. I taught my kids about sin. Sin's got death attached to it. It kills. And nobody writes books about sin. We don't do seminars about sin. Nobody show up. But sin's what caused Silent Night, Holy Night, Weep Through Kings of Orinar. That's deep, isn't it? Sin's what caused up from the grave he arose. Sin's the reason God sent his son to earth to save us from our sin. Sin kills. It's got death attached to it. We couldn't save ourselves. 
We need salvation from our sin, and Jesus did that. Our sin's been dealt with. We can now run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy and help in time of need. We don't run from God when we sin. We run up under his armpit to get grace and mercy. So used to, I thought, man, you know what it was? I grew up in church. You'd miss somebody for six weeks. They wouldn't be able, where's Billy Bob and his family? I don't know. Well, I know what happened to them. They sinned. They got drunk and did something stupid. And we're not going back to church. We clean ourselves up. So then we clean ourselves up. We go back to church. You can't clean yourself up. You'll never come back to church. Only God can clean you up. So I wanted my kids to know sin will never be a problem for you. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus. You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, placed in the kingdom of God's dear son. You can run boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy, what you deserve that you don't deserve. And you can get it any time. You can get help. So don't you ever let sin stop you. I want you to be like a greased banana peel. It won't stick to you. Every night before you go to sleep, you repent or you forgive. Don't you let it stick to you. Number two, I want my kids to know you're anointed to make money. Because poverty is a curse. It's under the law. Curse of the law is poverty. People broke as dirt. America's broke. France is broke. England's broke. Italy's broke. Greece is broke, broke. You know, European <laughs> Union tried to give them a loan back earlier in the year, and they didn't take it. They don't need to take it. They had a parade in the street. We're broke, we're broke, and we're not taking any money because we're broke, we're broke. And they celebrated the fact they were broke. I'm not making that up. It's just a stupid. You can like, that was just dumb. <laughs> well, we've been redeemed from the curse law, which is poverty. I wanted my kids to know, I don't care what your GPA is. I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care if they kicked you out of kindergarten. You're anointed to make money. God said so. And so I went through, collected the 1,206 biographies of great Americans that became millionaires and billionaires that never went to school or never finished school. It was their gift that made room for them, not their IQ. So you've got a gift. You're not going to go through life thumb-sucking about stuff. I want you to know you're gifted to make money. Number three, I want you to know anything good that ever comes to you is going to come out of your mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. You got saved because you said something. And if you don't control your mouth, hell will camp out under you for the rest of your life. And you don't want it hard because hell cheats. Hell makes you run at anybody. Hell made a run at Jesus. He never sinned. Our job is to resist hell, to bind it, take authority over it, not to let it just stomp on us. So I want to know those three things. So we finished that program that day, and every, there were people in the audience there in our studio, and we're shaking hands and thanking people. And three of my kids were there, my college professor, Tess, my middle daughter, my youngest, my son. And Sarah said, uh, Dad, that was really good. Yeah, I thought that turned out great. Just kind of pulled that right out of the air. That was good. And then she said, Dad, we don't remember you teaching us that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not making this up. I said, well, I did. Tess, you, did Dad ever teach you that? No, Dad, you never taught us those three things. Well, I sure did. John, did teach John, Dad, you never told me. I told everyone. Get over here in the office. Get over here in the office. So I took him across the hall. I'm always shut the door. And here's what I pulled out. Now, this is real. I showed Pastor back there. These are the original notes. I don't, I don't know how though. They're over 30 years old. They're all wrinkled and crinkled. These are the notes. And I pulled them out. And I said, now, guys, I gave you these. Now, if you lost them, that's, that's your problem. But I taught you. So I'm going to reprint them again. And we're going to go right here in the office. And I took him an hour. And I went through all these scriptures. I'm going to do this real simple. Uh, you can go to my website and download these for free, joemcgeeministries.com. It's real simple. These are all the scriptures on these two pages, New Testament alone on sin. These are all, no duplicates, all the scriptures about sin in the New Testament. Because sin will kill you. If you don't know how to deal with it, you'll feel guilty. You'll feel condemned. You won't do anything. I feel bad. I can't get, I'll shut your face up and repent. <laughs> So I'm just going to give you the first three or four, because I like this. This is real simple. This is what I've taught them. This is the first I like. These are all New Living Translation. I love this translation. Galatians 1.4. Galatians 1.4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. That ought to be a bumper sticker. <laughs> Why did Jesus die? Our sin. Why did he go to the cross? Our sin. Why was he raised dead? Our sin. He loved us. We were sinners. We couldn't get to God. He made a way by the, his blood. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. 
Sin's not a problem. Now look at this. Romans 5.12, all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. That's everybody. Genesis 4.1, the first kids ever born on the planet, Cain and Abel. Now Adam and Eve have sinned. They got fired from the job, evicted from the house. Kids are killing each other. And this is before the kids kill each other. Things aren't going good. Thorns and thistles have grown up. They're working by the sweat of their brow. It's not paradise anymore. So God's demanding and they bring a sacrifice. You know the story about Cain and Abel. Abel brings the blood sacrifice and God accepts it. Cain brought some radishes and cabbages and turnips and carrots and green beans and God didn't want that. He said, I'm not accepting that. I need a blood sacrifice. And the Bible says Cain got mad at God and pushed his lip out. Like your kids will do when they get mad, pooch their lip out. So God asked him, why are you angry? And Cain won't answer. He said, if you do what's right, Cain, you'll be accepted. But since you're not doing what's right, sin is crouching at the door. You must learn to master it. God told the first kid ever born on this planet, son, you have the ability to master sin. He didn't ask him to do anything he couldn't do. Cain, you better learn to master this because this thing's got death attached. Of course, he didn't. And that's a whole, they don't make too many movies about that. Nobody buy popcorn and go watch them. But it was a sad story. What happened? Sin. Mm, that was ugly. I like this. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That was written to Christians. At least you're talking to believers. If you say you don't sin, you're deceiving yourself. Why? We're still growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Every day we get to grow up a little more, grow up a little more, repent a little more, forgive a little more. It's a process. We're not there. So that's what it says. If I sin, I can confess my sin and God will be faithful just not only to forgive me, but to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I want my kids to know you're going to be a repenting machine and a forgiving machine. You're not perfect yet. You're growing toward it. So don't you let a sin dominate you. Now these are all real good scriptures and I don't have time to go through all of them. That's a whole seminar. But I want my kids to know sin will never, ever, ever, ever be a problem. If you say it is, you're not doing what the Bible says. I want you to be like a greased banana peel. I don't want it to stick to you. Number two, I've got six kids. Nice now we love our kids, but they're so different. We thought the hospital made a mistake. We thought, that's not our kid. That can't be our kid. Because they're nothing like the other kid. Well, it's because God's very creative. God made peacocks and hippopotamuses and baboons with the fluorescent rumps. He's our creative God. So some of our kids can make A, some can make an A if you spell it out for them. But all of them are gifted. God said so. So I wanted my kids, you're gifted to make money. So this is all these, all these I'm just going to give you one verse on this. I like this. Now this is Mark 6, 3. When Jesus started his ministry, for 30 years, Jesus was a businessman. He wasn't some sissy in a white sheet and a wooden hammer walking around in flip-flops. Jesus was the local Home Depot. All of his brothers and sisters worked for him. He's the local carpenter. Man, you got a bed, he made it. You got a table, he made it. You got a chair, he made it. You got a door frame, he made it. You got a mask on your boat, he made that too. He's the local Home Depot. Everybody knew Jesus' business. He's the carpenter. That's why even his own brothers and sisters would not follow him when he started his ministry at age 30. That's why they said in Mark 6, well, isn't that the carpenter? That's the carpenter. And nobody believed in him. That's why he went to his hometown and couldn't do any mighty work. So Jesus had resistance, but he was anointed. Now, here's what I want to give you. Every Every story that Jesus taught, every parable he taught, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is a business story. Now, this is old. I did this when I was way back in full gospel businessman because the devil separated us from the business world. Oh, you can go to church on Sunday. You can pray and get saved, run around and speak in tongues and bark like a dog if you want to. God will save you and fill you and heal you. But come Monday morning, you on your own. You know, you wake up, oh, here, that's Monday. It's Monday. How long is Sunday? Six days. Oh, man. Oh, we got to go Wednesday. I don't think I'm going to make it that far. we got to go church Wednesday. 
Like somehow God couldn't be Lord on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning. Jesus is Lord 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never stops being Lord. So all this stuff the devil's done through government that's trying to separate God and the church, it's never been separate. God's everywhere all the time. So these are all the, these are all the parables Jesus taught. Everyone's a business story. So I'll just, this is just this one-liners. Let's take maybe about three minutes here. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus told the story about construction. John 2, verse 1, told a story about winemaking. I love this story. Everybody drank wine. There's no Pepsi-Cola back then. There's no Coca-Cola. You don't drink the water. It's got stuff crawling in. It'll put you in the toilet for a month. Everybody drank wine. It's just what they did. And so they're at a wedding party. Must have been free food. You know how they are today. Go to a wedding. Why? Feed you. They're feeding everybody. And man, I grew up, you didn't pay anybody. You went and paid a just piece $10. You got married. You didn't buy 500 people and feed them. So there's free food. Jesus is in the kitchen with all of his staff. They're all there. And his mother's in the kitchen. I guess they're snacking on finger food. I don't know what they're doing. But in the kitchen, the story is somebody runs in the kitchen. Hey, hey, man, we're out here at the feast. We're out of wine. We need more wine. And the catering company, who's catering this, says, what do you mean you're out of wine? Yeah, man, they're sucking it down something fierce. Must be a hot day. We need more wine. We don't have any more wine. We, we, we brought enough for everybody. No, you didn't. We're out. We're only halfway through. We don't have, we, we don't have any more wine. You'll never get another gig. And nobody's going to hire you again. We'll be here out of wine. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of yelling going on. And Mary, you know Mary, silent night, holy night. Mary looked at Jesus. She said, son, help them. And Jesus said to his mother, mom, it's not my time yet. Leaving Jesus had a mother. She said, son, help them. And he said, okay. So he turned around and he said, what do you got? What do you got? These empty buckets and barrels that had wine in it. Well, fill them up with water, he said. They fill them up with water. Jesus got around and he starts touching all of them and said, take a sip. And the Bible says they took sips of the wine and their eyebrows went up. Ooh, that's some good stuff. And they rushed out to serve everybody. Now the thing's about half over and all of a sudden the people at the wedding feast begin to brag on the wines. Whoa, man, that's some good stuff. You usually serve the best stuff first till you get so drunk you don't know what you're drinking. But, man, you guys have saved the best for last. And people always wonder, what's that story about? Jesus saved a catering company. <laughs> it's a business miracle. The guys, everyone here is working for somebody. you got your own business. Jesus wants to be Lord over your business. Don't ever immediately mouth, God, sure wish you could help him make more money. He wants to. He just needs you to ask. Oh, it got quiet. Go <laughs> Cleveland. Mark 4, 2, a story about farming. These are all Jesus' stories. Matthew 13, treasure hunting. Matthew 18, 12, ranching. Matthew 20, verse 1, management and labor. Matthew 21, 28, family-owned business. Boy, you ought to read that one because i got a family-owned business. That'll help you out a lot. I like this one. Luke 20, verse 9, hostile takeovers. Matthew 25, 14, return on investments. Luke 12, 35, futures markets. This is right out of the New Testament, guys. Jesus told business stories. Jesus was a businessman. Jesus ran a business. He didn't shut the business down when he started his ministry. The family kept running it. He knows business. He wants to help in your business. But somehow the devil's not, well, you can pray for your salvation, but you can't pray for your business. That's just carnal. I need carnal. I need some cash. The Bible says a good man leaves cash behind his children and his grandchildren. Oh, that's good. That's another seminar. Crop yield, management criteria. Need for observation and research, Luke 14, 24. Luke 15, 11, misuse of money and bankruptcy. Luke 16, 1, the advantage of leverage. And Luke, Luke 19, 11, venture capital and high-risk situations. Man, that's a great one. Now, I got all the stories. I'm just going to give you one. Keep uh, one. This is probably my favorite in, in all the Bible. This is a, this is a they, they don't put this in the Easter movie. They should, but they don't. Mark 14, verse 13. Mark 14, 13. Uh, Jesus is out on the hillside. I don't know what he's teaching, but it must be good. They won't go home. They've been out there for three days. He's, he's preaching the storm, sun up to sundown. The disciples, you know the disciples, the staff, they come to him. Lord, 
you're really preaching good. We really appreciate what you're doing, but Lord, we've got to shut this thing down. We're getting hungry. We ran out of food two days ago. We're chewing on rocks and grass right now. My belly button stuck in my backbone. We've got to shut this thing and go to town and get some McDonald's, some Arby's, and some something, and we'll come back and pick it up tomorrow. We've got to shut this thing down. We've got no food. People haven't eaten. And Jesus, the creator of the universe, son of God, Shondai Hikimo, he said, well, you've got to have something. No, Lord, we got nothing. We told you. We ran out of food two days ago. We've been stealing food from everybody already. We were out. No, you've got to have something. And to mock Jesus, to mock him, here's what they said. Lord, you don't understand. We got nothing. All we've got is this snot-nosed kid came one who this morning with some loaves and fishes. It was to mock him. We got nuts at this stinking kid's lunch. Jesus said, that'll be enough. Well, mm-hmm. son, can I borrow your lunch? Well, the mom must have taught him, good, sure, Lord, I guess. So he took the loaves and fishes, and the Bible said he blessed it. We don't know what he said over it, you know, but it must have been something great. He prayed over it, and they said, okay, sit everybody in groups of 50. And there was 5,000 men, plus their wives, their kids, their in-laws, their grandkids. Most historians estimate there's 30,000 people sitting out there. Jesus set them down in groups of 50 so we know who's been fed. Now, all of a sudden, he begins to break the loaves and fish. Now, I don't know. I wish they'd put it in a movie. I don't care if it's 12 hours long. How long did he break this to? Boom, because the more he broke it, the more it grew. Boom, 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 And how many hits you? And so all of a sudden, it's almost sundown. And Jesus said, okay, everybody had enough to eat? Yeah, Lord, we're full. Bump belly buds pooching out now, Lord, we're good. All right. Okay, boys, grab some baskets, go around, pick up the leftovers, and follow this kid home. He sowed he's going to reap. And so they followed the kid home. And I said, I grew up in the country. My parents didn't care where I was as long as I showed up before dark. You show up after dark, you're getting a thrashing. And we lived across an abandoned rock quarry. We go swimming that water 200 feet deep. That was just dumb. We climbed trees and catch pots. We catch snakes and put them in our pocket. We did dumb stuff. Parents didn't care as long as you're home before dark. <laughs> you imagine the kid coming to the back door. He's been gone all day. And mom says, where have you been? Mom, it's been a crazy day. I rented this crazy carpet out there. Where's your lunch? I gave it away. You gave your lunch? Mom, calm down a minute. Boys, bring the baskets in. And 12 grown men come in the back door of the kitchen carrying baskets full of food. Mom just did. Mom, you're not going to believe what happened. This crazy carpenter asked to borrow my lunch. And I said, well, sure, because you said be polite. And I gave it to him. And he went, Shonda Hickey Moe, prayed some stuff over it. Next thing you know, boom, 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 boom. And these are the leftovers. We're going to be eating a month off this. And I could have been, I said, you go back tomorrow, you take another lunch. You go back tomorrow, you take another lunch. Every single parable is a business story. God's trying to increase us. And I told my kids, I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care if you can't walk and chew gum. I don't care if you can't diagram a sentence. I don't care if you can't spell algebra. I don't care. But you better be busy doing something because God gave you a gift. Your gift will make room for you, bring forth kings to make you wealthy. Get busy doing something by serving somebody, not showing off. Then the third thing is this. This is my favorite one. This is a short one. <clears throat> this is called the blessing. This is the blessing. Now, there were hardly no Catholics in Hickson, Tennessee, where I grew up. I didn't know what a Catholic was. I figured they're all in Rome, and they're living around the Pope. That's all I knew. <laughs> but I did have three Catholic kids in my high school who signed our annual the same way every year, 10th, 11th, 12th grade. They always signed your annual with these, these words. I thought it was a Catholic saying. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. And then they signed their name. I thought, well, that's just a really nice Catholic saying. Well, then I went to Bible school, and I realized it's not Catholic. It's in Numbers chapter 6. They must not have taught us Baptists about that saying. Now, here it is in context, number 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons to bless the people with this special blessing. This is what God said to do. Say this over the people every day. 
May the Lord bless you and keep you. God told him to say this. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. <laughs> May the Lord show you his favor and give you peace. We never get to verse 27. God's still talking. Here's what God said. God said, whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people in my name, I myself will bless them. God, when are you going to bless me? When you say it. God, when are you going to bless my marriage? When you say it. God, when are you going to bless my kids? When you say it. When are you going to bless my job? When you say it. When are you going to bless my country? When you say it. Blessing has to be spoke. God moves to his word, but somebody has to speak his word. You know, I grew up with great songs, great spiritual songs. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. That was a great one. We, we sing that for three months at Old Mass, and they shut our plant down. It is now the home of the moon pie. If you ever had a moon pie, it's made my former plant. Take this job. So we sung that song. Everybody thought it was so funny. This is the blessing. It is an impartation of the supernatural power of God into a human life by the spoken word by God's delegated authority. That's the Hebrew dictionary. What's blessing? A human has to say it. God doesn't just drop on you. He needs somebody to say his word. But you know, saying like, you know, you're dumber than dirt. I don't know why we had you. You're not going to mount the hill of beans. I don't know why I married you. I never loved you anymore. Go ahead. Hell's waiting. Hell responds to words. Heaven responds to words. Demons respond to words. Angels respond to words. We need to shut hell off and start finding out what God says and start saying when he says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's how God moves. Now, okay, three minutes. Here we go. I like to <laughs> just give you a few. Genesis 1:28. God made Adam and Eve, then he blessed them. What happened? They didn't stay under it. What did God do? He blessed them. Even God does his own blessing. I like this. Uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and not Esau. Isaac's old, blind as a bat. He's about to die. And before the old guy dies, he has the eldest son go get and fix his favorite meal. And then he'll lay hands on and anoint him. And the eldest son gets the double blessing of the family. Well, so what Isaac doesn't know is that Esau sold that blessing to his younger brother for a bowl of beans three months earlier. And it was a legal transaction. So he says, Esau, go get my meal and fix it for me and I'll bless you. Well, he leaves to go hunt. Mama knows what's going on, so he brings the little sissy brother, you know, Jacob, into the kitchen. Come here. I've got your dad's favorite meal. I've killed an old skanky goat. Hold your hands out here. She wrapped his arms in skanky goat skin and said, take this into your dad. He walks in. Dad, I'm back. You know, huh, you sure don't sound like Esau. Come over here. And that smells good, though. Here, let me touch you. You sure don't sound like Esau. He recently, he touched those hairy goat arms. Like, yeah, that's you. You're skanky, son. That's you. And he ate his food, laid his hands on Jacob, and gave him the blessing. The Bible says when Jacob left the tent, Esau walked in and said, Dad, I'm back. What? I'm back. What do you mean you're back? I got the food. I won't fix your meal. I just ate the meal. You couldn't have eaten the meal. I just got back with it. I just ate the meal, and I gave you the blessing. You didn't give me the blessing. And Isaac dawned on him. <gasps> your mother's tricked me. I gave it to your brother. Now, you can read it for yourself in Genesis. Esau said, well, you've got to bless me. No, son, this is not a saying at a Christian bookstore. This is not a Christian bumper sticker. This is a tangible anointing that a parent passes down to his kids. I gave it to your brother. I don't have one left for you. This isn't a nice saying. Now, that's the old covenant. Under the new covenant, ah, 
The blessing is yes and amen. We can bless our kids, grandkids, stepkids, and neighbor's kids. We are the anointed of God, and we can speak blessing every day. I tell parents, you ought to grab your kid, keep oil in your pocket all the time. I still carry it with me. i got it in my briefcase right now. I keep a bottle of olive oil with me. I anoint everybody and everything. I'm going to grease every head, every room, every door I walk through. I grease the door of the hotel I went in. I anoint everything. I plead the blood of Jesus. This place is anointed. Man, nothing but the angel God camped around here. I'm blessed and highly favored. Somebody's got to start saying what God says because if you're only feeding on the world and the news and the paper, you'll start saying, man, it's bad. Man, idiots are running from president. We're going to get an idiot from president and the country's going to go down. Your country may, mine won't. So you need to find your own country because mine's blessed and highly favored because I'm the redeemed of the Lord. I'm the salt and I'm the light and I'm the reason the country's doing good because I'm the body of Christ. Shondai. <laughs> I give you this. This is Luke 24, verse 50. Luke 24. This is Jesus. He's come out of the grave, brought a lot of formerly dead people with him. They walked around town and shocked a lot of people. So he's going out in the country. He's going to go home. So he walks out toward Bethany. He walks out. People follow him. And he goes out. And the Bible says a cloud formed and began to lift Jesus up into heaven. And everybody's waving. Bye, Jesus. Bye. <laughs> and go home. You know, I've been through the Holy Ghost thing. So I'm going home. Here you are, you've got the creator of the universe, the second member of the Godhead, holds everything together by the power of his word. He's got one last shot, one last shot. What would be, he's thinking, now what could I say? What last word could I give? I spoke so many words, the Bible says, there's not enough books to write it down. So if I got one more shot, what could I say? And the Bible says, he blessed them. God, you got one more shot at it. We're going to say, I'm going to bless you. But I've got a real habit on it now. My kids, i got adult kids. They've got grandkids. I don't ever see them or talk to them. I don't bless them. Whether they like it, don't like it, and you're just sappy. You can keep saying that, and it's coming at you because i got the authority and the anointing to do it. And I believe God's watched over his word before me. I fly all the time, and because I do, I fly first class most of the time. I never pay for it because I'm a real good customer. So I get bumped all the time. I was first class coming up here today and I didn't ask for nothing I just show up oh you've been moved to first class well appreciate that and so I like first class you got a nice wide seat lay back <laughs> they give you you know something to drink in a real glass and uh and so I like it well I do one of two things in first class because I fly all the time I either take a nap or I read it's one of two things I do so I'm up there I'm sitting down because you get to board first you know you, you get right on you have to wait out there see I'm board. and also elderly gentleman comes in and sits in the seat in front Got a sweater vest on. They're still a pumper for some of the older guys. And I assume he's retired. Looks like a retired guy. And he sits down, lays his head back. To, You're a wise old man. That's what I'm going to do here in a minute. Plane's filling up. I'm going through some stuff in the book. I'm getting ready to take a nap before we ever take off. And a businessman comes in the suit and tie. Got a briefcase. Sits down next to this guy in front of him. Now I can see between the seats. All I see is the top back of their head. He slid his briefcase under. Got his laptop out. And he's typing. When he keeps looking at the elderly guy like he knows him. I thought maybe they know each other because he keeps turning like well, the guy's asleep. So finally, the guy reaches over and he punched him on the shoulder and says, Hey, hey. And, uh, and the guy wakes up and he says, Hey, hey, you mind if I ask you a question? I thought, Well, that's kind of odd. And he said, I fly all the time, first class. I like to play a game. If I got a game like I like to ask you a question. If you can't answer it, you owe me $5. I thought, There's no way I heard that, right? What do you think? And, then, and then, then, then you get to ask me a question. And if I can't answer it, I'll give you $500. I There's no way I heard that, right? So, so I go first. I go first. So he said to the elder gentleman, how far is it from the earth to the moon in miles? And all I see is the top half of the I can't see their face. But the old guy's looking, and he leaned in like he's going to whisper something. But he wouldn't. He's reached for his billfold. Grabbed a final auto bill, and he handed it to him. Laid his head back down on the seat. He goes, no, 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 it's your turn. You get to ask me a question. You get to ask me a question. <laughs> so the guy sat up. He's looking at him. He said, uh, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? 
That's, it's noisy. People coming on the plane are almost full. I said, what? What goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? Turned around, laid his head back down on the seat. Guys, look at him. I assume he's Googling because he fired up that laptop. And he's typing away. I guess he's Googling. Finally gets on the phone. Hey, Frank, 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 you ever heard? What goes up a hill with three legs comes down with four? You ever heard that? You know bet you ever heard that? Okay. Hey, Bill, 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 you ever heard? What goes up a hill with three legs comes down with four? You don't know? You never heard that? Stewardess, I'm sorry you have to put up all your equipment. We're getting ready to take off. And the guy slammed his laptop down. Now, all I can see is the back. I can see between the crack. That's all I can see. And he's just staring at the old guy. He leaned over. I guess he reached his billfold because he grabbed five $100 bills, folded them over, punched the guy on his shoulder, and he handed them to him. The guy took him, looked at him, didn't say a word, put it in his pocket, and just laid his head back down. <laughs> the guy said, well, what's the answer? He said, what? What's the answer? What goes up a hill with three legs and come down four? The guy looked at him. The plane's getting ready to take on. The guy looked at him, leaned in like he was going to answer. Reached his bill, grabbed a final dollar bill, and he handed it to him. <laughs> now, we've had a period in time in our life where everybody's trying to outlie, outbrag, outhit, outhunt, outfish, outgolf everybody else. Jesus said, You want to be great in my kingdom? Uh huh. Well, I need you to become the servant of all. You want to be great? Find somebody to help. Find somebody to serve. I told my kids, if you're going to make money, meet a need. Don't show off. People hate show offs. You want to make a good living? Meet a need. Find a need. You find a cure for cancer, money will not be a problem for you. You find a cure for heart disease, money won't be a problem. You invent a carburetor that gets 100 miles a gallon, money will not be a problem. You meet a need, money won't be a problem. If you're just chasing money for money's sake, you'll never have any. God designed the body of Christ to meet needs. We help poor. We help the orphan. We help widows. We visit people in prison. We nurse sick people back to health. We are a need-meeting machine. That's how we get blessed. What? We're giving away everything we got. And the more we do, the more we get back. We're in the greatest time of human history. So I told my kids again, listen, guys, don't let sin stick to you. That's a thief trying to steal from you. You repent quick. You forgive quick. Number two, I don't care what your IQ is. You're in order to make money. You shouldn't hate going to work. You ought to love going to work. And number three, all blessings are going to come out of your mouth. You go to bed, you thank God, you say something good. You get up, you thank God, you say something good. You leave everybody better than you find them. You live every situation better than you find it. That's who we are. You start doing that, and your life's going to be amazing. Somebody will write a book about you eventually. I guarantee it. So let's stand up. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word that sets us free and keeps us free. Lord, you said we are the redeemed of the Lord, and we are to say so. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that Father, sets us free, Lord. We thank you for the body of Christ where you've placed us. Lord, put us in the middle of what you're doing in the last days. Don't leave us on the sideline. Use us, every gift, everything we've got. Father, whatever the devil stole, I command him to pay back seven times. That's what a thief has to do. I pray may this year become a jubilee year. May we finish strong by the end of this year, Father. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Every head bowed, every eye closed for just 60 seconds. Nobody moving for one short minute. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Two questions. Are you here? And you say, Joe, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have never, ever asked him into my heart. But God's been dealing with me, and I'd like to do something about that tonight. If that's you, I would like to pray a 30-second prayer over you right out of the book of Romans. I am not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. Men really don't save men. God saves men. But if that's you in just a few seconds, I'm simply going to ask you with every head bowed to raise your hand and wave it at me really good and put it right back down. If you're willing to acknowledge you need a Savior, God in heaven will save you right where you stand. 
Old things will pass away, all things will become new. God will make a new creature in Christ. It's that simple. Or perhaps you're here and say, Joe, I'm saved. I just haven't been living for God lately. But Joe, I've been stirred tonight, and I'm ready to get serious with Jesus. Well, if that's you, you can pray the exact same prayer we're going to pray with these other people. And God will forgive you every sin you have ever committed in a moment of time. Take your sin as far as the east is from the west. Put it in the depths of the sea. There will be no record of your sin in heaven. And God will make the devil pay back seven times whatever you stole from him. So right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, you said, Joe, that's me. I need to get saved tonight. Would you pray that prayer over me? Or Joe, that's me. I just want to rededicate my life. I'm ready to get serious with Jesus tonight. That's you on either count right now. Would you simply just get your hand up and wave it at me and put it right back down? Joe, pray for me. I want to know my God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you there. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you there. I see that. Thank you, son. Anyone else? It'll never get easier than this. God does the saving. God does the forgiving. He just needs our permission. So before we pray, anyone else? Joe, I've not raised my hand yet. Please, include in your prayer. Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Thank you. All right. Hands down. Heads bowed. Eyes closed. Here's what we're going to do. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to pray with you. And God's going to do the two greatest miracles he can do. He's going to save souls and forgive sins. So people, let's help them pray. Everybody in here, say this after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I do believe he is your son. He died for me. And you raised him from the dead. I ask him now, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you by faith with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Now, Father, for the hands that went up tonight, either for the first time ever or as a simple reaffirmation of their faith in you, according to your holy word and their obedience, as of right now, they are cleansed, forgiven, blood-bought, born-again children of God. Jesus Christ is their Lord. The devil's not their Lord anymore. They are your sheep. You are their shepherd. They're going to hear your voice, and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. Father, we welcome them both into the family, back into the fold, and ask as they lead tonight, surround them with a shield of divine favor. May people begin to look at them with a new set of eyes. And Father, bring godly friends into their life that will strike iron and cause them to grow and become all you want them to be. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. give the Lord a hand clap, guys, would you, Pastor? Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.